Uh, but we're going to continue the sermon series we started a few weeks ago called the Four Cups. And when we say Four Cups, we mean the Four Cups of the Jewish Passover Seder. Um, this started back a few weeks ago. This is also the meal that Jesus partook of when he was about to be betrayed. The night that he was betrayed, he partook of the Passover meal that the Jews still celebrate to this day. And uh, inside of that meal, inside of that celebration, they're celebrating the Passover or the time when the death angel passed over uh, the people of Israel, and they were spared and saved, and God delivered them out of Egypt. For 400 and about 30 years, the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, and finally God came and rescued them. And so the Jews still remember that to this day uh, in, a, in a supper called the Passover um, Supper, Passover Seder, the meal. And within that meal, they, they have four cups of wine. Uh, they have four cups of wine, and each cup represents a different promise of God. And um, we're, we've been looking at those four promises, and every time they drink of that wine, they, they, they look up Exodus chapter 6, and uh, they read from verses 6, 7, 8, and I think 9, and they read about these promises, and they celebrate a past event. And as Christians, we believe that this is the word of God, but it's not just about a past event, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that what God promised the Jewish people 3,500 3, years ago, he is still offering to us today. And so we've been looking at these promises and how they apply to us. Let's go ahead and read Exodus 6, verse 5 says, Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving. This is God talking to Moses. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out. That's the first promise. I will bring you out. And uh, we talked about that on Easter Sunday. No matter what you're stuck in or how long you've been in it or how long your, your parents were in it, how many generational curses have been stuck in it, God has the power by the blood of Jesus to bring you out. He doesn't want you living in slavery. He doesn't want you living by a dominating influence that is controlling your life and that is, and that is robbing you of what God intended for you to have all along. God wants to bring you out. And if you want to listen to that, listen to our podcast. You can hear more about I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Then he says, I will free you from being slaves to them. That's the second promise. I will free you. We talked about this last week. This, the Jews call this the cup of deliverance or the promise of deliverance. In other words, uh, God, yes, wants to change your location uh, from Egypt to um, free from Egypt. He wants to take off the shackles that were around the wrist of his people. That's, that's taking them out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. But then he says, I want to do something else. I want to free you from being slaves. So many of us come out of Egypt. We come out uh, from under the bondage of Satan, from under the bondage of sin, and, and we don't have the physical issues anymore. We don't necessarily have, have all the external problems, right? We learn how to dress right. We got the Canadian tuxedo going on. Like we, we learn how to put our smiling face on and come to church, but we are still, we are still being slaves. That's on the inside. That's something that, that happens. It's a cup of deliverance. And so if you want to hear more about that, it's on the podcast. God wants to free us and deliver us from who we are, not just what we do. And then thirdly, he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. We're going to talk about that today. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. The word redemption means to put back to an original purpose. The word redemption, God says, I will put you back. Like the children of Israel, the people of Israel were stuck in slavery, and that was really hard on them, and that was really difficult for them. And it was very, uh, cap it was captivity for them. And God says, I want to I take you out of that, and then I want to free you from being slaves, but then I want to put you back to the original purpose that I had for you all along. God didn't call Abraham so that his people could be slaves in Egypt. God didn't call Jacob and Isaac and lead them and guide them and give them all the promises that he had given so that his people could be enslaved. You see, there is the aspect of you and me. There's the, there's, there's the, the side of it that God wants to save us from slavery, but there's also the simple truth that God has a bigger plan than just you. It's not just about you. God wants to do something, yes, in you, but he also wants to do something through you. He said, I will redeem you. I will put you back to an original purpose that I had for you. 
And so the people of Israel, we talked about last week that God brought them out. And then last week we talked about the Red Sea. They came to the Red Sea and God parted the way for them to walk through the Red Sea. And then they were in the wilderness for uh, 40 years. And in the 40th year, we would come across this interesting story found in Numbers chapter 21. And so I'd like for you, for you to read that because this to me is, a, is, a, is one of the ways that God redeems us or puts us back. So Numbers 21 says the king of uh, Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them as prisoners. So Israel, the nation, made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. In other words, I, I, I won't keep their stuff. We will just destroy them. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites. Now, now that's, that's important. This king that came against them is a Canaanite. Canaan is the promised land. That's where they're going. That's how close, by the way, after 40 years, that's how close they are. They are right on the border of the promised land. And, and, and sometimes Satan doesn't wait for you to attack. Sometimes he, he tries to get the first punch in. And so the Canaanites get the first punch in, and this king attacks them. But when, when the people of Israel cry out to God, God delivered up the Canaanites and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of that place is called Hormah. Hormah means devotion. I, there's, there's some great victories that you will get when you live in devotion. There's some powerful deliverances that God has for you when you live in devotion. Some of you have never been there, so you don't even know what I'm talking about. But when you get to a place of devoting yourself fully to God, there is some powerful victories that will happen when you step into the land, the place of devotion. And many times we don't ever get those victories because we don't, we, we, we don't, we don't journey to Horma. <laughs> we, don't, we don't actually go to the place of devotion. We go to the place of interest. We go to the place of curiosity. But to actually devote ourselves to God, to actually give ourselves, to devote ourselves fully to God. There are some enemies that will not die in your life until you give yourself fully over to God, until you step into the land of devotion. No matter how smart you are or how much you scheme or how much you plan or how much you do, it's not about what you can do. It's about what you can devote to the Lord, what you can set aside to him, what you can give to him. It's not about church and religion. It's about uh, living in a place of devotion. And that's where they are. They're in a place of devotion. And they see a mighty victory. This is the first victory, by the way, that this generation has ever seen. They've only been in two fights. This is the second fight. The first fight they lost. <laughs> and so this time, this time it's different. This time they win. This time they get their, their, their brothers and sisters and sons and daughters and grandma and grandpa back. They bring them back from captivity. And they, they must be thinking, man, God is ready to do something mighty here. We're right on the edge of the promised land. We're right on the border country. And bam, we got our first victory of the Canaanites. We are ready to roll. And then we come across the next verse in verse 4. And then they journeyed. Then <laughs> they journeyed from Mount Hor, which, by the way, sounds like a mountain that you should probably go away from. Just saying, Jesus don't want you living there. Uh, Hormuz good, but <laughs> stay away from that mountain. Then they journeyed on from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea. Uh, by the way is kind of tricky. It actually means toward the Red Sea. Now, 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 now if I could give you a map, you, you, this, this would make a little more sense. But he says that, that after Horma, which is far north, They've come out of the desert. They're now stepping into a mountainous region on the edge of the promised land. They're, they're starting to see grass. They're, start, they're starting to see trees. They're starting to see animals and vegetation and life and rivers. And they're, they're walking into the promised land. That's Horma. That's a place of devotion. And they, they have an awesome victory. And Mount Hor, by the way, is the tallest mountain in that region. It's like 6,500 feet above sea level. I mean, it's like Colorado kind of, kind of it's a huge mountain. And, and actually, in Numbers 20, uh, chapter 20, we see that Aaron, uh, Moses' right-hand man, died, and he requested to be buried 
on Mount Hor. And so even to this day, if you go to that region, there's like, it's still desolate, but there's, there's this shrine to Aaron because he was buried there, and, and apparently that's still his gravesite. And, and, and it's, it's this huge mountain. I mean, everything is downhill from Mount Hor. <laughs> you, don't, you don't go uphill. Everything is downhill from that place. They're, they're, they're there at the top of the wilderness at the bottom of the promised land. And then they journeyed from that place toward the Red Sea. That's south. That's away from the promised land. That's back to the Red Sea that they crossed. They're journeying toward the Red Sea to go in order to go around the land of Edom. And all the people, the soul of the people, became very discouraged on the way. I'm glad the Holy Spirit included this segment. Because God could have just brushed over this little incident that happened with his people. But I'm so glad that he included it because it gives me comfort. It gives me courage and strength. Because I know what it is to be in a place of devotion. And many of us do. Many of us know what it is to be in a place of some victory. To have some uh, semblance of, of, of accomplishment. To start moving forward right with God. And, and, and it's, not, it's not usually the warfare that makes us weary. I've never met anybody that, was, that, that, that became weary because of warfare. Now, they'll blame the warfare, but it's never, it's never the warfare that makes people weary. These guys got weary on the way. It's not, it's not necessarily the fight, it's the walk that brings about weariness, that brings about discouragement. So just, just kind of to give you an idea, babe, here, I'll, I'll just use you as a sermon illustration. And no, no, this, this time I'm not going to pull you around. But let's just, let's just say that we're over here, right? We're, we just crossed the Red Sea, babe. It was awesome. God split it. It was amazing. And, um, of course, I let you go first, and I stayed back and fought off the devil and stuff. And, uh, and then and I'm, and I'm so much taller than you, which is cool. Uh, and, and, so, and, 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 and so we began journeying, right? For 40 years, we're, we are on this journey. We're moving forward. Right, we're moving forward. We're 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 leaving the Red Sea behind. We're leaving behind uh, Egypt, definitely the Red Sea, all of that. We have we have years of progress here. Now it wasn't always exactly straight. There was some zigzagging going on, but but for the most part, there are years of progress. And now we are right on the edge of where God has called us to be. And this is awesome. God gives us a victory, and then Moses, that idiot, uh, who's in charge, the moron, like he takes a hard right. And so, and so we start walking this way. I don't know, but, but has anybody ever been following God and then God just takes a hard right? Like, <laughs> there's progress, we're going forward, and then there's a detour. That's where discouragement comes in. Discouragement comes in in the detours. Discouragement always comes in in the detours. These guys are stoked, they're pumped, they're excited until God starts leading them this way. And so, you know, all right, so we're going this way now. And, and on the way, there's something about this journey that makes them discouraged. The battle didn't discourage them, but the detour did. And I think it has a lot to do with direction. I think, I think we're all pretty good at staying pretty encouraged as long as we can understand the direction that we're headed. You see, when, when I first read this passage, I thought, okay, so, so they got discouraged on the way. And I thought, well, this way must have been very difficult. It must have been very Hard. I mean, there must have been like, like, you know, like my grandparents, uphill both ways, no shoes in the snow in the middle of Texas. Like, that's just how they rolled back in the day. And they must be like that. But no, 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 no. They were coming from Mount Hor, which is the tallest place. This entire journey is downhill. This entire journey is downhill. They are not, they don't have to climb a single hill. They are literally moving downhill. It's not the difficulty of the journey that brings discouragement. It's the detours that God takes us on on the way. And so as we, as we start wandering, now we're meandering. Now it's like, it's all, it feels like, sometimes it feels like we're going back to where we were. Have you ever been going along with God and it just seems like all of a sudden you're not where you used to be? All of a sudden, you don't feel what you used to feel. All of a sudden, you're not even who you used to be. You feel like you've gone backward. Can I, can I just suggest that maybe, Pastor Rocky, maybe, maybe this is part of the plan. Maybe, maybe we have an, an addiction to perceived progress. 
pastors, we, we have this too. I, I have this. I'll, I won't speak for you, but for me. Sometimes I have an addiction to perceive progress. If I can see that I'm moving toward a goal, then I'm good. I'll, 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 I'll go uphill. I'll stay up late. I'll get up early. I mean, no, the, 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 the power of the momentum, and even when I'm blocking people like David, the power of the momentum of going forward, it's, 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 it's enough. It's adrenaline. It's, it's adrenaline, faith, hope, love, Jesus stuff, and we're moving forward. As long as I'm moving forward. But then, but then when, I, when I don't feel like I'm moving forward, I feel like I'm back where I started to the Red Sea. Sometimes I wonder what was, what was the purpose of all of that. And I think, I think maybe it's part of the plan because, because maybe God wants to, uh, for, for us Americans, I don't know if I were to preach this message in Mexico, I don't think it would make much sense. If I were to preach this message in the Ukraine, I don't know that it would make much sense. But in America, we're, we're addicted to, to progress. We're addicted to movement. We're addicted to momentum. That's why Apple has made seven phones that do the same thing. Because we buy it. <laughs> and we say, this is better. This is better. No, this one's better. Here's another better one. Here's another better one. Why? Because we're addicted to the feeling of moving forward. And God knows this. God knows this as, as you're following him. See, this is, this, is what, this, this is when we get discouraged. We get discouraged when we've been meandering and we're all the way back to where we started. This is where discouragement sets in. This is where counseling meetings come up. Pastor, hey, I really need you. I'm really struggling. This is, this, this, is, this, is, this is the land. I'm back where I was. As if the journey that God wants to take us on is a straight line. God's not an American. God's not Apple. God will give you a flip phone after iPhone 5. He just go back to flip. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, iPhone, here's a flip phone. Like, like, this is what God does because God never wanted you to be led by progress. Because here's the deal. If you're, if you're all pumped about progress, this, this, this is what I, what, 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 what I could tell you. If you're back here and you used to be up there, let's just think back to the time, to this, to this line, to this journey that you were taking. I mean, you were smiling, you were happy because you were making progress and you were dressing real good, coming to church and everything looked really good on the outside. But I can guarantee you, if we could have peeled back behind that smile and dug deep into your heart, there would have been a fear in there that I don't know that I can keep this up. I don't know how long I can keep this up. I'm afraid that I'm going to fall. I'm afraid I'm going to lose progress. I'm afraid I'm going to, well, the church folks would say, backslide, slip backward, right? I'm afraid of that. And so, and so, and so I have to guard what I have. I have to be very careful, very careful. As if the calling of God is so fragile that something could just mess it all up <laughs> and it is if you're addicted to progress and so sometimes god will god god's like okay i see that in your heart i see that you're following me not necessarily because you want to follow me but because you want to be moving forward and so god says okay let's turn around <laughs> he is so good at attacking our idols he is so good at knowing inside of our heart what we really love and what we really desire and what really, what really motivates us and pushes us. And he says, okay, if progress is what pushes you, I'm going to take away your progress. And that's when we get discouraged. And that's when oftentimes if progress was our God and progress falls over, then suddenly we freak out because we don't know who to serve anymore. Who should I follow? Why should I do these things? Why should I pray? Why should I devote myself to God? If I'm not moving forward, if he's not taking me into the promised land, if he's just going to make me turn around and I'm going to wander around out here in the wilderness, even if the way is easier, the discouragement sets in because he attacks our fake God, the God of progress, God of movement, God of momentum. Everybody's always wondering, I don't know if this is going anywhere. I had one guy say, I don't know, if, I just don't feel like my marriage is really going. You know, I just don't feel like it's really, dude, you're not talking about your truck. I mean, if your truck's not going anywhere, that's a problem. <laughs> if your wife isn't going, that might be a good thing. I'm just saying, like, like there's something, like life is not, everything's not linear. Everything's not aligned. Your journey with God is not aligned. 
It's not like it's not like some of us are further along this walk than other people. No, we are all in the same wilderness doing this number. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because God is not interested in your destination. He's interested in your dependence. And so he wants you to depend on him and lean on him and follow him and walk with him and even sit whenever he starts talking about other stuff. Thank you, babe. And, 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 and that's what he wants. He wants dependence. He doesn't want destinations. He doesn't want checkpoints and lists and progress reports. He's not making a graph of your life and a chart and seeing if you're better today than you were yesterday. The question is, are you depending more today than you were yesterday? That's what he's measuring. That's what he's watching for. That's what he's waiting for. And so he takes his people and right after a victory, they should be pumped. They should be excited. But instead, they're discouraged because of the detour. And they move along that detour. And this is their question. They speak against God and against Moses, and this is their question. Why? <laughs> That's a purpose question. I didn't say what. They said why. You can be on the right way and lose your why. And when you lose your why, you'll get discouraged. People get weary, not because they get busy, but because they lose their why. It's not that you're doing too much. It's that you're doing too much that you don't know why you're doing it. That's when discouragement sets in. That's when, that's, that's when you start looking around saying, man, I don't really know if this is, if this is worth it. Not because, not because you're busy, not because you're doing too much, but because you, you, you didn't connect a why to it. You couldn't connect a why to it. This happened in my life. I was, I was working uh, for Tommy Tenney, who, by the way, Tommy is coming uh, May 28th. May 28th? Yeah, that's a Sunday. The last Sunday in May, Tommy Tane's going to come preach, and it's going to be awesome. He's my old boss. I was his personal assistant for two years. Worst job of my life. And, um, and he'll probably agree with me, actually. He, he, he told somebody one time, Harry's got the worst job here. Other than, he said, other than me, Harry's got the worst job. It was just, it was just, it was a rough job. I, I was in charge of, you know, airplanes and, and rental cars and, and churches and venues and talking to pastors and stuff. And, um, yeah, never mind. I won't, I won't joke about that. But anyway, you know, and, and I was just, I was just, you know, church politics and all that kind of thing, just stuff that kind of bugs me. And, and so I had a TV and TBN and, and private planes and concierge levels. I didn't even know there was a concierge level on like nice hotels and, and uh, black American express cards. And, and the learning curve was just like this. And it was just, it was really, really tough. And, 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 and I remember during the first nine months as I was trying to learn this job, one, I'd never failed at anything. I'd never been bad at anything before. And I was clearly bad at this. And uh, I was struggling, and that's actually how me and Ro met, because she noticed I was kind of depressed in our, in our emails, and so she gave me her phone number, and so we started talking, and, uh, and she helped me out of, the, out of the depression, and sort of, kind of. But anyway, um, you know, but it was, just, it, was, it was difficult, because I knew I was called to preach, I knew I was called to pastor, but here I was, like, booking air, airfare and airlines and, and hotels and making sure Tommy had his particular seat on the airplane, and all of the craziness that comes with that job. And I couldn't attach a why to it. I couldn't figure out how this fit with where God was calling me to go. And so I got discouraged. You always get discouraged when you lose your why. This is why God says, I will redeem you. I will give you your why back. I will put you back on the purpose that I had for you to begin with. And it doesn't mean... It doesn't mean that he will, he will change all of your circumstance because God had called me to work for Tommy. I knew that much. It's the only reason why I, why I was there because I, God specifically spoke to me. And so I was, I was struggling with this. And one night I was talking to Tommy's um, maid, uh, housekeeper slash uh, nurse. I mean, she was just all sorts of things. Uh, she ran, kind of ran a lot of the household and things. And, and um, I was talking to her what, like at two o'clock in the morning. We just flew in and, and uh, her and I would talk. And um, she's an old Cajun lady. Uh, really, really cool. Her cooking was amazing. And um, so I wish she'd always have some leftover for me. And we were talking, and I, rem I, rem I remember thinking, man, you, like, I have a tough job, but your job is really tough. And because uh, you got to, like, take care of all these medicines and all this and all that. And, and uh, people are always coming over to their house for dinner, and she's always cooking. And, and, she said, and she said, yeah, I can see where everything I've been through up till now has, God's been preparing me for this job. And I said, what? <laughs> like this? This is it? <laughs> it's as high as you're going. Okay. 
Because for me, I thought very linear. I thought very much like a line. And this didn't seem like a very high point in my life. This didn't seem like really that awesome. But, but, but this lady, she said, yeah, everything I've been through has prepared me for this moment. And I got in the car and the Lord spoke to me and said, Harry, what if, what if everything that you've gone through right now, four years of Bible college, eight years of studying Greek New Testament, what if all the stuff I've poured in, what if that was all for this? right here what if this moment is all i'm asking of you yeah lord i'm not even using my greek i don't even get to preach i don't even get to do it okay cool what if what if this is actually an easier route it's just a different direction god will often change our direction in order to refine our why he will change the direction in order to clarify and refine. He said, I will redeem you. I'll put you back to your original purpose. And the original purpose wasn't just to make it to a destination called the promised land. And ta-da, here I am. The original purpose was to actually be able to conquer the promised land. So God takes you on a route that prepares, does something in you before he does something through you. And so he refines your why in the midst of this desert and there they say, why have you brought us up out of Egypt? Is it to die in the wilderness? Going on to the next verse, they say there's no food. And that's kind of true. And no water. And our soul loathes this worthless bread. In other words, the manna that was coming down from heaven. God, had, God was literally like raining bread down for them. It's angel food. And they, they say, we hate this stuff. And with all fairness, they've been eating it straight for 40 years. The same thing every day. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I don't care if you love, I don't care if it's cookie dough. Every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 40 years, come on. Like, we're, 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 we're yeah, pizza. I couldn't even do, you know, my, my, my favorite. There's this place in Chicago off the Magnificent Mile called Giovanni's. I couldn't even do Giovanni's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day for 40 years. At some point, I'd be like, can I have some meat maybe? Like, like some steak, some filet mignon, something? And mix it up. No, so they've been eating the same thing. And, and so, they're, so they're, yeah, they're complaining. And that's what happens when you get discouraged. Suddenly stuff that you were fine with yesterday and for the past 39 years you were fine with, now all of a sudden, I can't believe this lousy bread that I got here. <laughs> I just gotta watch out. But I just, you know, like, yeah, suddenly it bugs you. Suddenly, like, you know, traffic bugs you. Suddenly somebody steals your parking spot at Walmart and it bugs you, you know. And this is this, 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 like stuff that didn't bother you. Now it bothers you when you're discouraged. And so this what the Lord does. He lovingly, gently, sweetly sends fiery serpents among them. <laughs> and they bit the people. And many of the people of Israel died. <laughs> Jesus loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. That's rough. This week, man, uh, a couple days ago, Micah came running to our new house and said, Dad, 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 there's some snakes. And so I ran down, and Ro was cleaning out our, our old house, tearing it down bit by bit. And within the insulation were these two big, sort of black with, like, designs on them, about five-foot-long snakes. They're coiled up, and they're, they're under the end. So she had discovered them while she was trying to move the debris and so she jumped back and um you know screamed like a little girl and then um called for you know micah came running for me and uh uh i i came up and i see the snakes and madden my daughter and my wife really wanted me to keep the snakes because they they have like a live and let live philosophy i have more of a live philosophy but anyway <laughs> So they're like, you know, we need to, we need to, we need, we need, we need just, just to relocate them, right? Just because we're, we're about 10 feet from the water. We have a big, big pond. And so we're, so she said, well, just, you know, grab a stick and kind of move them along into the water because they might be water. They, they didn't think they were poisonous. And I said, you know, I really, I, I'm not a snake expert. Uh, it looked like the tongue was forked. It looked like their head was like, I don't know. But, so I was like, uh, I don't know that I want, even a non-poisonous snake can still bite you, and that's going to hurt. I mean, I spray bees. They don't do anything to us, but I kill them because they could sting me. And so, you know, I, I, I'm a live kind of person. Not a, and so, you know, I said, honey, I really think I need to kill them. And so Micah's like, yeah, yeah, blood, blood. And 
that's our son, and he's five, five and he's not, he's still, he's, we're, we're still trying to get him saved. And, and uh, so he was excited about that. And so Madden, you know, starts crying. She's weeping, you know, like she's really feeling for the snakes. I'm like, oh, honey. And so Ro took Madden off so that she didn't have to see. So I went and got my 22. I only had two, sh- shoot, two bullets left. There are two snakes that got two bullets. And I'm like, okay, man. So I'm, so I'm about three feet away from him. And I'm like, you know, it's a rat shot. And so it's just, I mean, it's a, it's a bam, I hit the one in the head. And then, and then the thing doesn't load right. And so the shell's stuck. And I'm like, oh, so I'm trying to get the shell out. And meanwhile, that guy goes underneath a piece of sheetrock. And so, uh, so the first guy just flops out, blood's everywhere. So I, I lift up the sheetrock and I cap the other one. That's how we do it from Detroit. We cap them. And so I, I cap the other one. And, uh, and he falls down. And then they start moving again. I'm like, what in the world? Super snakes? And so, so I went and get a shovel. So I'm like, you know, hacking away at its neck. I mean, it's bloody. It's nasty. They're like fighting. And, and finally, they, they quit fighting. So I tell Ro, I'm like, I think they're dead. Um, just leave them alone. And I got to take the kids to gymnastics. I'll come back. And so meanwhile, Ro goes to, what were you, you going to like move them or something? And keep, keep cleaning because once she's on a mission, she's on a mission. And, and so she, she decides, you know, to move them. Well, then they start trying to strike out at her. And so she has to take the shovel and literally like sever their heads like with the shovel, which is very difficult to do. She's she's a beast. And so she just she just like ripped their heads off. And when 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 their heads came off, it smelled kind of skunk like. And so she looked that up, Googled that. And oh, so they were they were they were cotton mouths that were that were breeding. Uh, cottonmouth snakes. They don't literally have cotton. It's not that's but they, they're dangerous. And they're about five. These were about five feet long when when you stretch them out. Um, dangerous. And so she said, well, thank you for protecting us for killing snakes. And I said, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's what I'm there for. And so uh, it's, just, it's just how we roll at the Fleming house right now. So pray for us. And I mean, God's like keeping Roe alive. There was another incident this week. It's crazy. Like God's protection is just amazing. And it just kind of made me think about this story because it's not like there weren't snakes there before. There were. God just was hold God was protecting them. God was holding them back. And now God pulled that little protective measure off. And now they got to see what it's like to live without the protection of God. Because they complained. God removed his hand, removed his protection and suddenly these fiery serpents, uh, whatever that means, scholars aren't real sure. These these they they, they think they're red, these red snakes bite them and people are dying and so in light of that people came back to Moses so about that um, and they said we have sinned that's something their their parents rarely said they said we have sinned we've spoken against the Lord and against you You're going on to the next part of that verse they, 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 they admitted their guilt and so they said pray to the Lord that he would take away the serpents from us so Moses prayed for the people then the Lord said to Moses this is what I want you to do so like God could have just eliminated the serpents. He didn't. Instead, the Lord tells Moses, make a fiery serpent and put it on a pole. And it will be that whoever has been bitten by these snakes, whenever he looks at the, the bronze serpent, uh, he will live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. And so it was, if a, ser- if a serpent had bitten anyone, when that person looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. And going on to verse 9, uh, also includes a little statement there that whoever did not look at him uh, did not did not live. He uh, he, God God gives them this strange remedy, and I think this is one of the great ways that God puts us back on our purpose. Because He said uh, in Exodus six, He said, "I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment." And so the outstretched arm is the fact that He can reach us wherever we're at. Like you're not, you haven't fallen too far off your purpose for God to be able to find you, for God to be able to reach out to you. And he proves it here. Here's his people living in sin, his people grumbling against him, and they are reaping the results of that and the consequences of that. And so God says, I still have a purpose for them and I still want to save them even in the midst of their mess. I'm going to do something for them. I'm, I, he hears from heaven, and he responds with healing. He responds with a miracle right in the middle of their mess. And the way that God sets it up, though, he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I'm going to reach really low to where, how far you've fallen. I'm going to reach really low to wherever you're at, wherever you're at. We, we serve a God who sees you right where you are at. 
You don't have to clean yourself up, and you don't have to figure life out, and you don't have to have the answers, and you don't even really have to, to believe everything that the church says you need to believe. He sees you right where you're at. And healing can come without proper theology and doctrine. Healing can come without much knowledge or, or wisdom or understanding or good church attendance. Healing can come, for those of you who plan on coming for three weeks in a row, you can, you can, God can heal you before you get your 50 bucks. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you, don't even, you don't even have to come three times. God can speak to you in an instant, in a moment. And he will reach down exactly to where you're at. He has an outstretched arm. That's how he puts us back on track. He re reaches down to where we are. An outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. Judgment is what scares us. <laughs> judgment. Whoa, wait a minute. What's this judgment business? What? What? We don't, we don't like judges judging or judgers. We're not into judge. Uh, he's, but he has to, in order to get us back on track, he has to judge something. And so this is what he does. He, he puts together this plan for the people of Israel. He, he tells Moses, I want you to, to make a bronze serpent, a bronze snake, a bronze fiery serpent. So make it look just like the ones that are biting them. And make it out of bronze. Um, as I was reading the rabbis' uh, writings on this, rabbis talk about how, how the, the material of bronze is often a symbol of judgment because bronze has to go through the fire, and after it's gone through the fire, its, its impurities are gone, and it's a lot stronger than gold. And so brass is often uh, the, the, the material that's symbolic of God's judgment, and I think that's exactly what's happening here, that God is about to judge something. So he says, make a brass serpent serpent make a make a snake that's made of brass put it on a stick and raise it up over the people and in john uh in john's gospel jesus is talking about himself and he says uh uh jeff uh john's gospel jesus is talking about himself and uh, uh he says he says as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so uh, must the Son of Man be lifted up? John's trying to explain his role on, on the earth. And he says, you know the story about the serpent in the wilderness? Well, that was actually a parable about me. This is what I'm going to do. I must be lifted up. And if I'm lifted up and I'm put on a stick, I'm put on a cross on these beams of wood, and I'm lifted up, then people who look at me and look to me, they will be healed. And this is, this is, this this is what God does. He makes, he, makes, he makes Moses, instead of making a cross, or instead of even making a lion head or something really cool or really prophetic, instead he says, just, just take the very thing that's biting them, take the very thing that's killing them, and make a bronze version of it. Why? Because, because also in Romans, he talks about, about, talks about what Jesus did, that Jesus, through, through his body, Jesus came in the form of man. He put on sinful flesh. He looked like a snake. He looked like the sin that was destroying us. He made himself look exactly just like us because what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, by our skin, God did this thing by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he he condemned sin in the flesh. When, when, when Moses made this serpent, it looked just like the other serpents, only this serpent didn't have any venom in it. When Moses made the serpent, it looked just like the other serpents, only this one had been through the fire and had come out stronger. When Moses made the serpent in the wilderness and held it up for people to look at, he was saying, I want you to look at what you've been running from. I want you to look at this, vi this vision, this symbol of what's been attacking you, and now this thing is going to bring healing for you. And this is what God God did in his flesh. This is what Jesus did in his flesh. He condemned the sin. God judged, not, not the flesh. He didn't condemn the flesh. He didn't judge the flesh. He didn't judge you and me. He didn't condemn us. He condemned the sin. And this is what God is judging in the wilderness. He is not having mighty acts of judgment against his people. He is having mighty acts of judgment against the sin that is inside of them that is going to destroy them and tear them apart. And so God judged the sin in his own son. He put our sin on his son. And through the judgment of that sin, he's able to offer righteousness to you and to me. 
He says, but you have to look at them. Some, some, some of them didn't want to look at the snake. No matter how sick you were, no matter how near death you were, if you could raise your head, if you could raise your eyes, you would experience the healing that came from that snake. God said, create a snake that looks just like what's biting them. And I, and I, and I, and I, think, sometimes that's, I think sometimes that's what God's doing. God said, I'm going to have the same form, just a different function. Because often, I think whenever we're asking God to redeem us and we're asking God to put us back into his purpose, really what we're asking him is to live a life without snakes. We're kind of like the people of Israel. Lord, would you just take away the snakes? <laughs> it's almost like if God answered all of our prayers, we wouldn't need him. Because we basically pray for a life that does not need the grace of God. We pray for him to take away the snakes, to take away our trouble, to take away our temptation, to take away all this stuff. And, 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 and yet, why would God create a world where you don't need him? Here's a clue for you. There are always going to be some snakes. There are always going to be some things in your life. There are always going to be some issues in your life so that you do need God. There are always going to be areas where you need to grow. There are always going to be areas where he's challenging you. There's always going to be sin that he's judging in your life. The, the, the issue is not, is not do, do I have snakes or not. The issue is, has your snakes been through the fire? Have your issues been through the judgment of God? Have you allowed the fire of the judgment of God to burn away the dross out of that thing, to take the venom out of that thing, to take the toxicity? out of that thing to take the because you're still going to have the memories but you don't have to have the toxins that are associated with it you're still going to have the relationships with your family but you don't have to have the dysfunction that's associated with it you're still going to have the same job but you don't have to have the same motive that's associated with it anymore same form, but he changes the function. And so within that, he creates a miracle within a miracle that the very thing that the enemy meant for good, God intended to bless them. The version of the snake, the exact same fire. I want you to make it the, to look the exact same because it's got to have the same form because I'm not going to rescue my people out of their life. I'm going to save them in their life. I'm not going to rescue them out of their circumstance. I'm going to enable them to walk through the circumstance. I'm not going to eliminate all the snakes out of the, <laughs> out of the desert. They're still going to be in the desert, but I am going to lead them through this valley. I'm not going to fly them over the valley of the shadow of death. I'm going to lead them through the valley of the shadow of death. And we even in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, they can still fear no evil because I am with them and I am present with them in the valley. God is a God not who saves us from stuff, but who comes and sits with us in it. That's how he starts redeeming us. That's how he starts putting us back to our purpose because our first purpose is to glorify him. Our first purpose is to bring him honor and to bring him glory. And so I think it's in, I think it's in Deuteronomy, God's talking about this very instance that happens He's looking back on it, and, 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 and from, from his perspective, looking back, he, he says, he says that, that while they were in the wilderness, I, I, I led them, I gave them water. Uh, do you have that slide? Okay. <laughs> um, do, do you have the slide from Isaiah? Isaiah 43? Isaiah 43 basically says it again it says behold i will do something new now it will spring forth will you not be aware of it i will even make a roadway in the wilderness rivers in the desert the beasts of the field will glorify me and the jackals and the ostriches because i have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people now when was there ever rivers in the desert when was there ever a way in the desert there's not one there now. The only time that there was a river in the wilderness, in the desert, or roads in the wilderness, or a pathway in the wilderness, was when God led his people there. It's just interesting to me that in verse 20, God is boasting about the beasts of the field will glorify me, the jackals and the ostriches. God's showing off to the jackals and the ostriches? Because <laughs> there's nobody else in the wilderness. Sometimes, sometimes the places that God is leading you and the wilderness wandering that he leads you into is for you, but it's also for the wilderness. God stuck you in that job for the people in that job. That God put you in that family 
for the people in that family, that God led you. God wanted to get water there. God wanted to get resources there. God wanted to be glorified there. God wanted to, to, to be exalted there and to be known there as all that he is. And so the way that he does that is he drops off his people in the middle of it. So that he can respond to his people and bless his people and prepare his people and lead his people. And that he can be glorified in it. Oftentimes God allows serpents and things to attack us and issues in our lives. So that he can be glorified. The desert, the wilderness, is a place where humans normally, normally, typically, humans don't live there. Especially in those days, you, you, you couldn't. Well, according to human standards, you couldn't. And God loves taking people where other people say you couldn't. God loves taking his people exactly where everybody says you can't. You can't live there. You can't go there. You can't maintain your joy after the funeral. You can't, you can't have hope after the divorce. You, you can't. It's humanly impossible. Exactly. God will often lead his people. You can't, you can't get free of that addiction. Once you're hooked, you're hooked. It's just the way it is. You can't forgive that. You can't forgive that. I mean, you know, once a whatever, always a whatever. You can't, like, I got 35 memes that tell me I can't <laughs> do this and do that. And it's all over my Facebook feed of what is humanly possible. And that's true for, peop for your average Joe who hasn't found their redemption yet. Yeah, probably can't. But God loves glorifying himself to the jackals and the ostriches of your life. The onlookers who are scratching their heads saying, what is he doing here? How are you still having hope in the middle of that situation? I thought you would have been gone a long time ago. I thought, I thought you were in 40 years. You la No way. There's, there's no way that these people are still here. There's no way that they're still moving forward. There, there's, there's no way they're still trusting God. There's no way. <laughs> That's true. But he made a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to bless others. And that's why he puts us at Williams Elementary, to bless Williams Elementary. That's why he sticks us in South Austin. The first meeting I had with pastors in South Austin was, why is it so hard to plant churches in South Austin? That was the discussion topic. I said, that's so encouraging. Thank you, guys. I, the Lord bless you, keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you. Like, can we get some, something, something? Like, give me something? No, people in South Austin don't want to go to church. Wonderful. That's great. I'm starting a church in South Austin. Okay, um, got any pointers for me? God loves to do stuff that people say that shouldn't, can't, wouldn't, not going to happen. He loves to do it because it brings them glory. Because then they don't say, wow, wow, you're just a great church planner, aren't you? No, no, definitely not. Uh, wow, you've been, you, you, you really got some good strategies. No, none of them work here. They don't work. None of them work here. <laughs> People from Alabama tell me stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome for Alabama. Uh, this, is, this is Austin. This isn't even Texas. This is, this is not even California. It's somewhere in between. I don't know where it is, but it's crazy. Like, like his stuff don't work, but God works, but his Holy Spirit works. His Spirit moves. His Spirit convicts. His Spirit opens up his love to people, and, and, and as long as we're faithful, as long as, like, no church had ever met in Williams Elementary before, and I was like, why in the world has no church ever met here? You got a nice decent-sized building. I mean, the floor is ugly, but, you know, I mean, come on, it's, it's, not, it's not that bad, you know, so, I, so, so I'll give you that. It looks like you're standing on the ocean or something. It's like a big blue deal going on, but, but no church ever met here, and so I said, well, great, we'll, we'll, we'll meet here because, because, because God's stuck us here, and so I think God wants to water this here. I think God wants to bless this here. I think God wants to grow things here, and I think the jackals and the ostriches in South Austin can, can scratch their heads and say, I, I've been sticking around, but I didn't think they would. <laughs> and God wants to do that in your life. What people say is impossible, is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He wants to lead you to a new place. Would you stand with me? And I just want to pray, 
pray with you. I don't normally have you stand, but I, I just feel feel like standing. If you stand with me. And uh, I just want to pray with you for redemption in your own life. And I don't mean necessarily redemption for salvation. But perhaps some of you need to start that journey just simply by saying, I need God in my life. And so if that's you today, would you raise your hand and say, I'm going to receive Jesus into my heart today. I need him in my life to start this journey with him. That's awesome. That's awesome. But I, I, think, I think for a number of us, we've been walking for a little ways. And so I just wonder if you'd raise your hand and say, I, I, need, I need for God to reveal my purpose to me. I need for God to direct me. I need to keep following him. I, I, I've been on a detour, and I need to submit to that. That's awesome. Would you just raise your just, just go ahead and keep your hands up. And, Lord, we're just raising our hands right now out of worship to you. Surrender is what we're doing. Just like somebody puts a gun up to you, you put your hands up for surrender. Lord, we are surrendering right now to the lordship and the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives. We don't just want you to be our savior, Lord. We want you to lead the way. We want you to be in the driver's seat. We slide over. You are not our co-pilot. You, you are the driver. We give you the wheel. We give you the steering wheel before tragedy happens. We just want you to direct our lives. Lord, forgive us for going our own way, trying to make things work in our own effort, Lord. We have failed miserably on every account. We Forward is, is only is only in the direction of the way that you are walking. We are not interested in perceived progress. We will happily walk around in circles if you are with us, if you're out in front of us, if we're following you. We'll take the bread that you give. We'll take the water that you give. We'll take the supply and the resources that you give. But we're not doing it for the resources. We're doing it for your presence. We want to be close to you. We want to be connected to you. You are the vine. We are the branches. Without you, we are nothing. We have nothing. We know nothing. We can do nothing. We need you, Lord. We need you. So we surrender ourselves to you today. Just completely surrender. And whatever you want to do with us, you can, you can do it. Whatever you want to change in us, Lord, you can change. Whatever you want to to break in us, you can break. Whatever idols happen to reside in the recesses of our hearts, Lord, you can, even if they're good things, Lord, even if it's our own family, if we value our own family over you, Lord, forgive us. Let us lay down even our own family, even our good things, those things that, that you gave us and that you expect us to take care of, Lord. We, 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 we don't want to start, we don't want to start worshiping the thing we were expected to carry. <laughs> so we, we, we pick up our children, we pick up our spouses, we pick up our lives and we yeah we'll take the responsibility but lord we will worship you we will focus on you we will keep our eyes on you you are our prize you are what we need without you we are not okay but in, with you we are okay whatever we lose Come right in the middle of our pain. 